Ever wonder what the pros do? How they manage challenges? What actions they take when they feel stuck? While the lifestyles of professional climbers differ substantially from those who participate recreationally, there are certainly lessons us average climbers can apply. In this episode, Caitlin and I sat down with Ryan Devlin, the host of The Struggle Climbing Show. Ryan wears many hats, podcaster, actor, father, climber. We were thrilled to chat with him about what he's learned from the rockstar roster of pros he's interviewed on his show and how he's applied these learnings to his own climbing with some fabulous results, we might add. Get ready to dig into training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game. You're listening to The Average Climber Podcast. Caitlin, are you excited that we have a guest here today? I sure am. <laughs> we have a wanna, very special guest. We have a very special guest, and it's going to be extra special because we're making this guest do the fun fact instead of me. So you get a new flavor of maybe not the same kind of crazy today. But Caitlin, would you like to introduce our guest? Yes, I would. Uh, I believe he is otherwise known as one of the villains on um, <laughs> Veronica Mars. Oh, no. So... <laughs> Uh, just to give some ground uh, la- ground land, our guest here. knows Kristen Bell, so we are an A list podcast. Yeah, now. obviously, basically three degrees of separation from Dax Shepard, which makes us superstars by association. It's Absolutely, it, it is math. But well, we <laughs> before we go down this rabbit hole a little too far, we have Ryan Devlin on the show today, who is the host of the Struggle Climbing Show. If you haven't heard it, it is epic and amazing. I was also on the show. We did a crossover collab episode and Ryan is also a fellow Plug Tone podcaster. This is our super epic network of podcasters. He is a climber. He's an actor, as you just were told, and a man of many talents. But uh, Ryan, am I forgetting anything? Is there anything else you want to add here for some extra glitter? <laughs> no, just a longtime listener, um, second time caller here on the uh, average <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes. So this is actually our, to give the audience some context, we were just before this started, we were kind of all just thinking about how about a year ago we did this. And uh, <laughs> it was the first time we'd done a remote interview. And we were just like, Caitlin and I were, for lack of a better term, noobs. And the whole recording got below messed up. average. Below <laughs> sub, subpar. We struggled. For sure. And we we're struggled. below. It's perfect. We were below average, we but now Very we're using brand. our growth mindset. <laughs> I don't like to stray do... from the brand too much. You know? yes. <laughs> so, we are doing it bigger and better this time. And I'm very excited to, uh, yeah, have our sound be good and not so trash that we were like, we'll actually be lighting this on fire. Um, <laughs> yep, we will be just chucking this one right to the dumpster. So, but I'm very excited. And now, yeah, so let's let's see. Okay, Ryan, maybe, hmm, where to, where to begin? Okay, so I'm excited because in this episode, we are giving Ryan a bit of a taste of his own medicine because on his show the struggle climbing show he asks professional and elite climbers about their training nutrition 
tactics and mental game. So we are turning the tables um, in an exciting swerve and asking Ryan about the things he has learned from hosting the show and how he has applied it to his own training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game. So Ryan, how does it feel to be on the other side of this conversation? <laughs> You're well, the elite good. climbing podcaster. <laughs> no, I mean, first of all, I've, you know, I've listened to all your shows. I love your show. It's fantastic. And um, it really has come a long way since we last talked and it was a total dumpster fire of a <laughs> Our fault completely, breakdown. by the oh, way. Yeah. We were not used to doing remote recording and it was no, just us. Uh, yeah. was it. We were all garbage. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> We've learned a one lot. Time garbage. And, and you were just we're finishing not. up your season one and you're already done, what, season two or almost there? Yeah, we're like nearly through season two now. Obviously, Caitlin, you were um, one of our experts that that joined um, to recap season one last year through the lens of nutrition, which was awesome. And, so fun. Um, yeah, I'm psyched. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I get to sit down with y'all and, and do it again because now I have even more perspective, not only yeah. with a full season, but almost now two seasons um, under the belt here at the struggle. So, so a lot of perspective, a lot of learnings, and also the first time we recorded, which as the audience now knows, just did not, it's just lost into the ether. We, we recorded, but then no, no one will ever hear it because it just didn't come out. Um, I wasn't prepared with a fun fact, but now I am prepared with a fun fact. So it is redemption yes. all over again. I know. All right. Well, let's do it. Ryan, are you ready all right. to share your fun fact? Okay. One word. Phonautograph. Same Phonautograph. Starts more with than a pH. Can you use it in a sentence? So the phonautograph <laughs> is an odd device that was invented by a French guy back in the 1800s. It was a long barrel with like a needle that would vibrate and it would draw sound waves onto smoked paper or glass. It was, it's actually commonly now or maybe uncommonly now known as the first recording device. But here's the interesting <gasps> thing with the phonautograph and why it pertains to our conversation. Ooh. While it could technically record sound, it was on a piece of paper or glass, which means you couldn't actually play it back, just like mm. our first podcast interview. Wow. So the first episode, Whoa. phonautograph garbage. Got it. Now we phonautographed the fuck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas Edison came around and actually invented a way to record sound and then play it back. That's like the famous Mary Had a Little Lamb. He invented how to use a needle to, to etch vibrations on a record that you would then be able to listen back through the playing of the needle. Wow. The, the original hipster. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Thomas Edison was the original hipster. We were the original phonautographers. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. No. What an excellent fun fact. Huh. That I guess else. I spent like seven hours researching that. I've my my whole day was <laughs> torched because I'm like, I have to bring a good fun fact. Thank God I nailed it. Oh my yeah, gosh. You no, nailed you that one. It. Wait, okay. Can I ask if you've if what did the guy that invented it look like? Um Edward Leon Scott de Martinville. If you need to know more, wow. obviously that guy was a fucking baller. With that many names, looks cool. It doesn't. This invention doesn't sound like he would look cool, but if he has OG you know, DJ energy, then cool. I didn't see a picture of him, but yeah, I, I imagine it's like he's like an old timey garb with like a little bow tie and all that, but then he's got headphones with just one headphone on, like a like yeah. a disc jockey. Yeah. Yeah, he that looks like his. a G, let me tell you. So. Oh, wow. Okay. The Kate dreams. You have those funny pants, the culottes. Yeah. <laughs> I know what those are. Yeah. Why do I know that? I don't know. I don't remember anything I learned in college, but I remember that and SpongeBob quotes. So what else is there? Those. 
<laughs> Caitlin and I, so many SpongeBob references. Eventually, we'll have a Gen Z audience. It's like, what are these old people talking about? But until then, SpongeBob like, is SpongeBob is uh, toxic, an and I'll be like, okay, <laughs> okay. Oh, SpongeBob um, got canceled. Amazing. Um. I will say one last thing on this topic. There is a picture on the New York Times of Edison just looking like a straight up pimp. He's like sitting there like all leaned back with his inventions like look what i did it's not even mine but look what i did anyway yeah. and i patented oh my gosh it. Hold he on. literally had to invent up. the microphone so that he could then do a mic drop yeah he did oh, oh. oh wow a baller okay. i invented this oh, yeah. so i could drop it he does he does have like bored hip-hop artists on an album cover vibes on he this, does Wow, get ready for so cool. um, the bad Photoshop like, cool. we're about to do with your face, Ryan, on this picture. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yep, I was already like, how can we work this into the social media Got it. post for this? Done. Awesome. Okay, well, before we get into it, our producer Josh would want Caitlin and I to introduce ourselves. So, <laughs> hi, I'm Lauren. I'm a climbing coach. You're listening to the Average Climber Podcast. I'm with our lovely, lovely guest, Ryan, and my co-host, Caitlin. Caitlin. I am. Do tell people who you are. <laughs> Here I am. I'm Caitlin. I am a certified nutrition specialist who also works with climbers on their nutrition. So there you have it. That's why you're here. Hopefully you know. <laughs> okay. Yes. If you meant to find something from NPR, you are in the wrong place. Perfect. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's dive in. So Ryan, we're just gonna we're just gonna do your show. And I know the first question you always ask the athletes, climbers, and superstars featured on the struggle is how do you view struggle? So now that you've dived dove dove in deep into this dived. topic. <laughs> dived. Dived. dived, dived. <laughs> Off and the rails already. <laughs> you, can already you know the answers to the test already too, so you can, yeah. <laughs> you can cheat with this one. <laughs> I know. So how do you view struggle, Ryan? Ah, uh, I don't like it. Um, Fair. <laughs> I mean, it's one of these things that, like every athlete that I've talked to, one of the one of the most um, consistent overarching through lines through now two seasons of the struggle is that, like, all of them really actively seek struggle. Like they're unhappy unless they're pushing themselves to the limit, kind of into the point of discomfort, kind of the type two fun from Tommy Caldwell was, you know, or, or who's kind of famously maybe the person who tortures his body the most. But, you know, through through all of the athletes that I've talked to, Emily Harrington and Fabia Dubuk and Alex Magos, like they they seek struggle. That's kind of like their happy place. And for me, I'm not. I'm more of an average climber. I'm a dad. I have a couple jobs. And so while I do enjoy the grind, I um, I think I wrestle with more so like trying to keep myself from taking the easy, easy path out, I guess, to, you know, like we're constantly trying to find ways to avoid discomfort. Um, mm -hmm. That's like evolutionary psychology. So yeah, I think my relationship with struggle is that um, I can really get into it if I've got like a clear goal. Like I know, like if I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, November's coming up, I'm going to just like get into the pain cave for a couple of months because, you know, I really want to climb this route or something like that, then I can do it. But, um, but I think I struggle with struggle maybe more so than the pros that I talk to. <laughs> I know Fair. it's funny. Sometimes I also think it's like interesting just because, you know, struggling and progressing climbing when you are a pro climber is kind of like your job struggle but then you're when you're like more of an average an average climber you know you're like um 
making money and living my life <laughs> right. and making sure my house is clean is already like a lot of struggle. And then we'll just add struggle in. It. Yeah. And also like real talk, putting a podcast out there and just hoping people like it and doing all this work and being like, hope this works out because I'm not really getting paid yet. <laughs> right. like, that's also a struggle a too. Yeah. So. I feel like our struggle is just, there's so many different, I'm sure pro athletes and superstar climbers have a lot of their own struggles, but oh, I feel absolutely. like, yeah, there's, I think in the context of, again, average climbers, I think the struggle is so different. Like I really struggle with having my like normal life. And then I expect myself to go into the weekend to climb. And then I'm like, why is this such a struggle? uh, It's all, it's just different nuanced struggle in different packages. So I feel that. (laughs) Yeah. And I think without that though, what's interesting and and what we would experience as well, if we just went out and climbed V zero or five, six or something like that all the time, you know, assuming we're more capable, you know, than uh, climbing higher grades is that, you know, you pretty quickly then, lose interest. Like the struggle is ultimately what engages us is what it's what helps us get into the flow state and, and have fun. And of course the reward is that much stronger or that much more um, impactful when it's been a battle. So it's an interesting, it's totally an interesting relationship. And um, I think something that makes climbing so special, you know, it's, it's the playing field is very dynamic, whether it's a, a mental struggle or, or, a, you know, physical tactical, the things that we talk about, um, on, on the struggle climbing show, but also that you talk about in, in the subjects that you all choose on your show. Um, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be fun if it was like super easy. Um, even though sometimes we wish that it were, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I think the challenge is pretty important. So yeah, no, that is, that is a very good answer. And thank you for your candor, Ryan. <laughs> I appreciate it. Sometimes it could be, has it ever been frustrating for you to like listen to certain athletes be like, yeah, I love suffering. It's awesome. And you're sitting there and you're like, how? How do you Why? love it so much? <laughs> like, yeah, usually it's just like, honestly, it comes from like, uh, it's like a point of envy. I'm like, you know, yeah. I just, I just yeah. really, I'm like, God, I want, I want to love that pain as much as you do, <laughs> but I don't. So I don't. <laughs> thanks like, for I doing your thing. Human. Yeah, yeah. that's cool that you do that. Well, we can yeah. from it in doses and it is very scalable. And yeah. so, you know, we don't all have to throw ourselves into the type two pain cave constantly like some of these elite athletes do. Um, but I think we can gain some appreciation for it. And that was the whole conceit of the podcast. Honestly, it was like, how can I connect with Tommy Caldwell? How can I connect with Allison Vest or Lynn Hill? Well, I can't mm-hmm. climb at their level. I'm not, you know, I'm not naturally gifted and nor have I put in the time like they have, but like struggles, kind of the great equalizer. They might be struggling yeah. to break into five fifteen, just as like I'm struggling to break into five thirteen. I'm trying as hard, scalably, as they're trying. We're both putting in max effort. We both really mm-hmm. want it. It's just at a different level. And so, um, even though you know we'll never perform at their level, and and I won't you know be able to push myself as as hard as these climbers on the show, um, I can still learn from it and be inspired by it, which which I've um, gained a lot from those conversations. Yeah, I feel like we could uh, like end the podcast there and be like, "Good night, folks. That's it. Yeah. You learned that the great equalizer. You're welcome." It's a <laughs> yeah, snack break. Out, great. Every, it turns out everyone's having a hard time, uh, no matter what grade you're climbing. Uh, it's all yeah. subjective. Everyone's struggle is different. Got it. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Speaking of Allison Vest, I remember being at uh, my project in Lander, and Allison Vest was on um, throwing the hula hand, and I was over on Young Girl, and it was funny because we're both just like, well. 
first of all, I'm like clapping your Alice the best, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> but, <it's> then, <laughs> but then also we were both just kind of like falling and cursing at a rock climb and like trying really hard. It was just like grunt, wonder why we fell, figure it out. And I was like, you know, we're climbing very different levels, very different things, yada yada. But at the same time, like the process looks the same. Try hard, rip your fingers up, dangle try hard like i don't know so it's kind of it was really cool just seeing, i love that you know just a wall of people you know exactly like no matter what crag you're at you'll see people trying hard at different grades and it's like different route same experience which is cool to think about so yeah that's awesome yeah, <laughs> warm and fuzzy for thoughts for sure yes warm and fuzzy <laughs> thoughts everyone's having a hard time it's just what we're having a hard time on is different so all right well let's get into our for our four pillars of your podcast, if you will. So, Ryan, let's start with training. Um, I would love to hear maybe a few takeaways you've had with things you've learned on the show and how you've applied that to your own training and preparations for climbing. So you've had access to just experts on experts all over the place. I'd love to hear kind of what you've taken away. Yeah, I dig it. It's, it's you know, it's so interesting um, now with 20 of these interviews um, and, and really nerding out. We really nerd out over the training um, stuff. <laughs> yes, and, and of course, we go in through a lens of struggle. You know, where have you struggled in your training? And then we, then we you know, get a picture of how are you training now and what's working and what's not and that kind of thing. And one of the um, most consistent themes uh, that, that these climbers have talked about in the training is that they do a significant amount of their climbing as their training. And Ooh. I think that for me going into this, I think I probably, um, I wouldn't have expected that, I guess. I would have expected mm. like, okay, you're a pro athlete. You're going to be in the lab, you know, focusing on individual finger force and, you know, working with all these great tools that are out there and all that. But, um, but no, I mean, it's, it, there's some beauty in the simplicity, like almost all of them train through climbing and and, you know, dial in through their training, um, which I think is really um, quite interesting. And it changed my perspective in this most recent season where um, a lot of the advice that that I got, and this is like uh, Drew Mack, who was one of the athletes that we talked to. He's, you know, Red River Gorge, Superstar. Um, yeah. native, mm -hmm. total rock star. <laughs> and he, all of his training was through climbing until he got into 14A. And then he started training like specific lock-offs and things that he wanted to do um, to, to ascend into the, the 14s at the red. And everybody's different, totally individualized. But I made a concerted effort after hearing all this and talking to Eric Hurst, who also echoed this, which was just like, look, you're, you can supplement, you know, training is really important. And especially for me as a weekend warrior, there's a lot of things I can do at home in a half hour um, in between putting kids to bed and that kind of thing that I, I, I can't go and take like four hours to, you know, do at the gym or, or a full day to go to the red. But I doubled the amount of days that I climbed outdoors this season compared to last season. And, um, it's made a massive difference. You know, I'm definitely getting fitter of course, but it's also just everything that comes along with it, right? Like the tactics and all of that. And so, yeah, I'd be yeah. curious for your thoughts on yeah. that. Um, you know, Lauren as well, because this is, this is your world more than mine. Um, you know, is that a surprise to you to hear that, you know, the athletes basically climb more than they train? No, <laughs> but I also love, I love that you mentioned that. And I have, I have some questions for you too, because that there's just a lot. I have of, a question too. <laughs> okay, perfect. We have many questions, but yeah, no, I think one thing I think like 
I, I feel like it's like the uphill battle I'm always kind of like fighting against, especially as like the pr- proliferation of training content expands on social media is people don't think climbing is training. And I mm. want that definition wherever, whoever wrote it somewhere to be rewritten because people get so confused. Cause when I say climbing training, I, I am saying comprehensive plan of all physical activity you're doing, including rock climbing to get better at climbing. And I think a lot of athletes think that training is anything you're doing with your shoes off, essentially, where it's right. like hangboard, lifting, all the things that are not on the wall. And like, we just, there's just like two different definitions there. And I think these semantics really get in the way of a lot of good discussions because people are like, confused about what climbing training is so for me when you know hearing that like a lot of pro athletes spend a lot of their time rock climbing to get better at rock climbing it doesn't really surprise me um just to kind of jump in with sort of the way I look at it gymnasts right of course they spend time strength and conditioning and getting stronger but at the end of the day gymnastics much like climbing is a skill sport so they spend a ton of time practicing the skill of gymnastics and climbing is the exact same way so even at elite levels it does not surprise me that these athletes spend a ton of time climbing and also because they are elite climbers they've built up the capacity to probably climb a lot more than the average weekend warrior can especially if they started climbing when they were young kids so it doesn't surprise me that they spend a ton of their time and a majority of their time climbing to get better at climbing because they have the capacity to do it. So yeah, and one of the things that I I found kind of nuanced um, uh, in in that was um, that I started to take into account as I doubled my days of going outside was that they still brought a high level of intentionality to their outdoor climbing yes. as their training. Mm-hmm. So Jordan yeah. Cannon wanted to get better at big wall climbing, and he was being um, stopped on cruxes that were bouldery, and so he took a full season to do really hard bouldery sport climbing. And so mm, it's not is. like he just went and put in extra mileage on, on big moderate big wall crack climbing. He he strengthened his fingers not on a moonboard and not on a hangboard, but doing moonboard-esque or small edge hangboard-esque type, you know, movements mm. on overhung steep like climbs at Mount Potosi. And so that's something that I start I started to try to do myself you know, as I was getting outside, because I have very weak fingers. So I just started trying to pick routes that were shorter and more bouldery. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that you, oh, Caitlin, go ahead. I know you had a question. So, well, you're kind of answering my question, which was about, like, you said that you doubled your outdoor days instead of training. And I, for me, hearing that is so like, I don't know, warm and fuzzy is the only thing I can think of, because I think we do this sport so we can climb things and we like climbing things like that's part of the fun, exhilarating aspect for a lot of us. And to hear that you've been able to train outside and do the things that you're, you were training for. I'm like, oh, weird that that's something that we don't talk about all the time. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah. Ryan, my question actually relates to that too. How did you find a way to get outside more often? Because obviously for many athletes, you know, a quick 15 minute drive to the gym can be very different from whatever commute they might have to outdoor climbing. And obviously geographic mm-hmm. location matters here a lot, but how did you, what did you have to change in your life to get more days outside like you have? Yeah. Great point there. Um, You know, first of all, the bar kind of started pretty low. I was only getting outside (laughs) like 
maybe two to three times a month during like the good season at the red you can you can even get good summer days and that kind of thing if you don't mind sweating it out and you just find shady crags and that kind of thing um so i you know i just made a point of getting out at least once a week so that was four times a month and then sometimes i could get out twice like i've got a pretty flexible work schedule so i could get out on a weekday when the kids were at school and the crag was really empty which was great and i live two hours from the red so it is a full commitment i understand like for Mm -hmm. some people that's like oh my gosh you're so close to climbing and for other people like when I was talking to Stephen Dimmitt, he's like, oh my God, you're so far away from climbing. And so it's like, it's all relative, but totally. you know, for me, um, a two hour drive in and out, it's, it's a day, you know, like I can get the kids ready for school. I can go climbing and I can still be back for dinner if I'm really efficient with the, yep. mm-hmm. the climbing that we do. Um, so doubling it wasn't going from like, you know, 10 days a month to 20 days a month. It was going from like, you know, three or four to seven or something like that. Um, a couple times a week was the goal. Uh, and you know, for me, that was really good on my mental game. We're not to the mental game chapter yet, but like fear of falling has always been a thing. And this, so like, just, just, you know, like you said, um, or you both highlighted it's, it's a skill-based sport and it's really three-dimensional. So just adding a couple more days a month for me really made a difference. And then, so some of the days that I added to, to, to your question was, um, Saturdays or Sundays, cause I was going out like on a weekday mm-hmm. where I could escape and do it. Um, but I just started bringing my kids and I would find like my nice overhung climb and they climb, but they can't do like the climbs that I'm on. And oftentimes there isn't like a real moderate at the same one, mm-hmm. but then we'll just like, I'll fall or lower off. And then you've got this great rope swing. And so I'd put them in their harness and we'd oh, swing them stop. and they'd play in the dirt and <laughs> Yeah, there's some stuff on my Instagram, like if anybody wants to like oh, really smile right. and watch kids like <laughs> swinging like a hundred feet and freaking out. Um, we've done some, and then and then we'll hike over to like an easier crag and I'll get them on a top rope. And so I just found that although it wasn't as efficient for my climbing, maybe I only got in like one good attempt. It was just awesome though, because I'm out at the red with my kids. So, you know, and I just- And you're still effectively like doubling your climbing yeah, days outside, totally. which is really huge. So yeah, that's such a smart- way to operate. And I do, I do want to comment on something because this is where things could get really confusing because some of you might be sitting there going like, okay, so training doesn't matter and I should only get outside. (laughs) And then others of you will be sitting there going like, I live eight hours from the nearest outdoor crag. Fuck this conversation. I'm so annoyed. I can't just get out to the, you know, right. It's kind of like what Ryan said about, yeah, because I used to live like six hours from the sport climbing that I wanted to do. So three hours would have sounded great. But then I've moved back to Ohio from Salt or back to Ohio from Salt Lake for a little bit. And I used to be 20 minutes from rock climbing and now I'm three hours from it. And I'm like, I am so annoyed. So it definitely, the perspective definitely changes, but so to, to round this out for athletes on both sides of this coin, I would say this is a major generalization. So don't freak out everyone. But (laughs) if you are an athlete that lives really close to climbing and you climb outside all the time. Like if you are able to get outside three, four times a week, very consistently, and you've been doing that for, you know, some amount of time, maybe over the span of years, and you're finding you're not getting better. It could mean that the stimulus you're getting outside, you maybe either need to be more intentional with what you're doing outside, or it might be time for some, some training activities that are more traditional, like things that you'd be doing in the gym, strength training, hangboarding, those types of things. Like that could be what you need. 
On the contrary, if you're the athlete similar to Ryan who realized that you had a lot of good foundation laid in terms of, you know, strength, all these things, but what you just needed was a little bit more time outdoors to get into the season and have a good season, maybe figuring out how you can just get outside more when the season comes is the answer. So there's no right or wrong answer here. And the context matters a lot, like a whole lot in this discussion. So keep that in mind as you consider this for yourself and talk to your friends, um, because this is where things get so muddy. And this is how people say things like, training doesn't matter, just go outside. And I'm like, that's so cool. But some people live in Florida and that advice is really annoying. (laughs) So there's a lot of if statements there. Like, training is maybe not the whole answer if, or you should climb more if, like there's a lot of those contingencies. A ton of context that needs (laughs) to be had. And I think a lot of, like climbers really do like to geek out on training too, which is also yeah. cool. Like if you're psyched, like if you climb as for, for fun, like all of us are, except for the handful of people who mm-hmm. make a living doing it, then if you're psyched on training and that brings you joy, then that's, that's really cool too. So it's kind of like also like strike that balance of what brings you joy. And so, you know, yeah. the other kind of one of the other big takeaways from this conversation, and, and this came from a conversation that I had with Tyler Nelson, um, who joined as an expert analysis uh, analyst mm-hmm. last season, like Caitlin did in nutrition. Um, but he also just did a pro clinic on the show, which is like a patron thing, but you can get like the first half for free if you listen. Um, but anyway, we focused Shout on- Shout out, holler yeah, at. We'll put a right. linkity dinkity in the bio. <laughs> and patron supported. Patron supported. <laughs> <laughs> Help us out. Nobody um, saw all of the dork hand gestures that just happened. Ryan yeah, pushed up his like full, fake glasses like... and Lauren did a do-do-do with her fingers. Now, what is that? Like the jitterbug or like- the j- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't that know. came from my like choreography in the Wizard of Oz in high school. Yeah, I see sure, Donald so. Duck doing it in cartoons yeah. a lot. Um, <laughs> oh my God. But, but you know, again, the kind of the takeaway a little bit on, on the actual non-climbing training was that you can actually accomplish a ton with a very efficient time. And that was something that I was making a lot of mistake with is I was just doing a lot of like killing myself, junk mileage, overtraining and junk mileage. A lot of the the through line with some of these pros was those were things they struggled with as well. I had Melina Costanza on recently and, and she talked about how she would train so hard and she would climb so hard at the gym that she got to the point where she was consistently climbing two number grades below what she knew she could climb because she just couldn't recover. And so oh, when wow. she dialed that back, and I always ask about rest in this chapter, the <laughs> the through line was like train less and more specifically. And that's what I, I talked with Tyler Nelson a lot about. Like you can get a lot done in a little time if mm-hmm. if you're supplementing your climbing and then take rest super seriously. And um, that's really made an impact on me as well. Like I'll give like now like three full rest days. So I'm going to climb at the red on Friday. Today's Wednesday. So, um, I took yesterday off today off and I'll take tomorrow off as well. Like full on, I'm not going to do anything, um, because I'm kind of in like the performance phase. Like I'm pretty peaked. And so it's tough because mentally I'm like, Ooh, I should be training, but I'm just, I'm just holding off because I know I'm going to, I'm going to be like at, you know, peak energy in freshness when I get out there, which is something Alex Magos talked about how he used to go like 20 days on and all these things. And, you know, you Kevin Jorgensen, <laughs> like, yeah, you get injured or you just, you know, like Melina, you just like slowly see your top end performance degrading. And so mm. it has been interesting to see how, um, how little you can train if you're smart about it and how mm. impactful rest is if you program it. And, I'm still learning on those things, but I thought that was, those are pretty big insights from pros. 
Yeah. Lauren, can I ask you a question actually? Absolutely. Tangential to what Ryan said, (laughs) because I think this is something we've been asked before, but in this context, I feel like I want to know the answer again. Um, So with Ryan's three rest days or, you know, lots of really delicious rest in between your projecting days, would you say that with, let's say someone who likes to jog and they're well adapted Mm. to that, or maybe they'll do like a very low value, like not all out skiing day. Do you think that is acceptable in those rest days? Or would you say still, like if your goal is to project and perform for this very specific sport, maybe hold off on those other things despite your adaptations to it? Okay, this is this is a great question. So Loaded. I would I'm say sorry. no, no, it's so important because people talk about this all the time. Um, I will say if you're the person that like needs to be doing something active literally every single day, I'm about to trigger you. So <laughs> buckle so up. Um, sit there and breathe. <laughs> yeah, just deep breaths. But I will say, okay, so first of all, this depends on how much you care so to use ryan right now it sounds from what i have gathered ryan sounds like he is closing in on sending lipraj so at that point as a coach like you've worked so hard you've done all these things you've driven a bunch of time like you put in all this work to get the send happening right so at that point in a projecting process i would say be more of a princess about your rest days <laughs> if you will like don't like why are you gonna mess it up to like go on a jog like i don't know do something lighter than that right if you're kind of in the middle of your outdoor season and you're like i'm gonna go outside but like i'm getting on something where i don't think the send is coming that soon or i don't you know or i'm like trying to just kind of get worked and have a volume day it's earlier part of my season i think you can be a little bit less particular. But generally speaking, what I tell people is that they're going to do some kind of activity on what is a, and I'm putting the air quotes on rest day, because any day where you don't do, where you do some kind of activity is not really rest. So we would say this is maybe a more active recovery day, I think is a better term for doing something. But I would tell you that whatever you do on a scale of one to 10, it should be four out of 10 harder or less. Mm. Um, So if you don't usually jog and you're like, I'm just going to do a quick three miles, this is not four out of 10 harder or less. You should be walking. Also, I'm making fun of myself because that would be me. (laughs) I'm not a runner. I've never Um, done that. That would literally end my season. You're like, I'm just going to take like a three mile jog. I'd literally be like, I'll see you guys in March because I'm, (laughs) I cannot, like, I'm 43 and I don't jog. Like, Especially if it's on concrete, absolutely not so you have to think about that too so whatever you're doing it needs to be like four out of ten hard hard or less for you and then if it's a send that's like really important that you put a ton of work into and you care a lot about being recovered and having a quality session then you're gonna want to be more particular so that's my thought there rest day princess that's a vibe i can get behind i love it (laughs) big big facts um oh gosh i had one no i think that actually ryan uh we'll just circle back because now i'm like i could day trip to the red on friday i want to go rock <laughs> oh gosh come down it come out and spray me down on jesus are you okay very quick jesus web sidebar are you falling at like the top the top crux is that what's going on where's where's what's i am now i mean it's been okay. a journey this this yeah, it's totally. not my style and all that i've watched your video a thousand times i do i basically do your your beta there's as you know at the top of jesus wept um there are and at the bottom boulder problem too there's like five 
legitimately viable ways to do it. And Absolutely. People do it different ways, whatever works for them and all that. Um, on the top now, I'm doing the the crossover. With the <laughs> we, just and, the and we just did the same yeah. thing. I was out um, last week with Eric Hurst and um, we like, I was like, I'm like, I'm not close. And then I almost sent and um, something just clicked, you know, when it happened, like I came down and I was like, oh, I'm going to send next go. And then I went and caught him. He put up this new, it was a first ascent on a 12 D over in the stronghold, um, oh. which looks amazeballs. And mm. Um, and then we went back and I was going to give another go, but it was just super lined up um, oh, damn. As, yeah. as that route can get. So absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to send on Friday, but you know, maybe not, maybe, it, maybe it takes me another week or two. I don't care. Like it's such a fun route to play around on. I'm like, I feel no pressure to clip chains. Like it's just been a blast to work on. So yeah, I appreciate your help. I've just, <laughs> I mean, not directly, <laughs> it's literally your YouTube video of you climbing that route. <laughs> That is that is wait. So are you having to dyno at the bottom, like full feet cut situation? Or are you doing something no. else? Okay. I do the same. I do the same. I hit the same holds you do, but I'm able to um, hit it statically. On. Yeah. 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 But, Anytime but still, anyone's like, like that route soft, I'm like, did you have to jump and cut your feet like a psycho? Because I did because it's a big old move. Yeah. So, say that route is soft. It's not. It's not. Like, I mean, that is no, like solid for the grade. It is. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still only I'm still only 50% on that bottom boulder problem because I'm not, as we've discussed, I don't, um, bouldering is not my jam. Like I'll paddle up a hundred feet. Like I should have picked Tuna Town or something. I would have sent oh, that yeah. by now. But, um, but I wanted Jesus Swept. I wanted to push myself into different styles and different challenges. And so I'm still like not super consistent with that bottom boulder problem. It's gotten much better. And now the, the top is just, am I resting well? You know, can yeah. I kind of put it together up there? But yeah, it's been fun. Hell yeah, it's a good not, rock Not to climb. take us down Sweet. too much of a tangent yes, on Jesus. Yes, sorry. Work, but... We had to have a quick nerd sidebar on that because I've been wondering <laughs> about how, how that's working. It's funny too because Chris is the one that like advised me on like, it's like a stream of Chris being like, this is a good, Chris Hampton, whatever. Chris is right. like, this is a good rock climb. You should do it. Oh, are you having to dino at the bottom? Yeah, I pretty much had to too. That's fine. Super viable beta. Now the, the stream goes down. Rock climbing is so fun and collaborative and cool. <laughs> that rules. Oh, you'd love to see it. Okay, well, I feel like we should switch gears. Yeah. Over to Caitlin's corner. It's time. <laughs> nutrition. <laughs> nutrition. Tea biscuits and Caitlin and Ryan talking about nutrition. Okay. Um, amazing. So, Ryan, what are a couple of takeaways you've had from on the nutrition side of things after talking yeah. to all these pros? It, this has and, been a, a cool – oh, go ahead, Caitlin. Yeah, just I guess in particular, I'm curious, like, of course, the general question of – you know, what are your main takeaways? But I'm also curious to know what really surprised you if you saw a theme, because I know I was really surprised when we talked to you. So I'm just, I'm curious to know, like, of course, your takeaways, what you are maybe adopting or thinking about differently. And then also, yeah, if there's anything that was surprising to you. <laughs> yeah, I think like, kind of one in the same, the most surprising as well as the most um, kind of common or overarching theme was how not seriously most of these athletes took their nutrition. I know. Yeah. That was so surprising for me too. I was like, really? <laughs> it's, it, it really kind of blew my mind. And, and, and on the one hand, that's really refreshing because I would have thought mm -hmm. on a sport that it has had um, as as much of a kind of a baggaged history of, 
it's a strength to weight ratio sport and these people who like you know wouldn't carry their bouldering pads because they didn't want to strengthen their legs and this kind of thing like you know there is some some you know serious baggage that that continues today i mean i just had a conversation Mm -hmm. with melina costanza about her eating disorder and so it's not like we're past it but what what i found interesting was that at least from the 20 athletes that i've talked to so many of them um, weren't nearly as obsessed with their nutrition, um, like in a negative way as I would have Mm -hmm. thought. And I think on the one hand that's refreshing. And on the other hand, um, it seems like there's some real untapped potential for attaining higher athletic performance by actually getting (laughs) intentional about nutrition. And so like, yeah, the nutrition chapter has been really interesting. I'm I'm curious your, you know, your thoughts and takeaways. Of course, Caitlin, you, you joined last season. So, you know, you've already analyzed kind of our first 10 climbers, but you know, this new season we've, it's, it's a new, it's a new batch of perspectives a new batch of elite climbers, but I wouldn't say that the, um, the trend is very much different. I still feel like mm-hmm. nutrition is significantly, um, an untapped area of potential for climbers at all levels. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. That's something I've noticed too, because I had kind of forgotten about my takeaways from season one. And then I was reviewing my notes and I went, oh yeah, that's, did I write that for this season? Or... <laughs> <laughs> but it, it seems like the more people bring awareness to their nutrition, they see leaps and bounds of positive change in their climbing but also the less focus they've had on it in the past, it's maybe less of, I don't want to say a detriment to their climbing, but maybe it's less of something that's hindering them mindset wise. So it's, it's like those two sides of the spectrum, like more awareness is helpful, but the awareness that you do have is also important, like bringing attention to the specific aspects of nutrition for performance enhancement for overall health and well-being. I think that's definitely something that's that's been that theme too. But yeah, very surprising. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I think for me as a weekend warrior, what was um what's interesting here is is in this like section there seems to be almost a greater disparity between kind of weekend warriors and elite athletes in terms of um how how dialed we may or may not be at that time. And so let me, I don't want to speak in generalities. Let me just speak for myself, mm-hmm. you know, 40 something year old dad who, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I think like generally I have decent nutrition. It's not like terrible, you know, nutrition, but um, like drink beer and love donuts and just am a dad. And like, like I'm not, I'm not obsessed over my weight or anything like that. And so for me, there was some low hanging fruit when I just brought intentionality to my nutrition. You and I had totally. a, a like a consultation about a yeah. year ago and we talked about it and literally just kind of looking at some of my like main macros, just like protein, fat and calories, you know, kind of like it just like in a general sense, mm-hmm. I quickly discovered like, oh, without really sacrificing anything, I bet I could drop five pounds. You know, I was mm-hmm. probably like five to seven pounds just softer than I needed to be in a performance phase. And mm-hmm. I have a healthy mindset around that. Like, it, you know, yeah. again, each person has their own thing. But for me, I just discovered like, oh, I'm just like eating some really like junky snacks every day at around the same time. What if I just have mm-hmm. like a slightly healthier snack? <laughs> you know, what if I have a protein <laughs> shake instead of, 
you know, the, this like candy bar or whatever. And, um, without, without putting much effort into it, I cut some of that, you know, just kind of junk weight, I guess I would say. And then, Mm -hmm. and then I kind of performed stronger and then I just put all that weight back on when the summer came and I wanted to drink beer and and whatever. And so, you know, Mo Beck, um, is a guest this season and, She, you know, performs at the highest levels of comp climbing. She's an alpine climber. She was a National Geographic Explorer of the Year. She does big walls. She does all these things. And she talks about these seasons that she goes through. And she's like, look, if I'm going to dial in for comp, I'm going to get serious. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to stay serious the whole year. She had my favorite quote of the whole podcast so far. She said, there's no goal worth skipping dessert over. And I was like... (laughs) Just a what big kick a in the slap in the face. Oh, I love that. Boom. And it's like she's yeah. won gold at Worlds. Yeah. She's yeah, I mean, she's like one of the strongest climbers out there. And and she like takes her dessert seriously, as do we. I know we all yeah. take our dessert seriously. Donuts are very important. But I, I do think to your point that like you were a great example of it's more about what you add versus what you subtract and just making different choices. But I think seasonality is something that we as climbers do not ever really think about because we're always climbing we're always oh, doing something in both training and nutrition yes, totally. yeah, it's like oh my god the number of I'm athletes that are like right. i know we were just talking to our friend cat and bishop just to give a seasonality example mm-hmm. she was like well i like running and i want to be a good boulderer but i also want to be a good sport climber and i also mm-hmm. like skiing and i was like cat that's totally fine you just got to like strategize your year a little bit so you can have your time yeah. where like bouldering's happening running's ha-. she's like no but i want to do it all the time and I'm like, you can't. Well, Sorry. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's one of those things that, you know, we struggle about in like body composition conversations or weight loss, weight gain even. And I think as people who really care about our sport, if we think about the seasonality approach and when we really want to be sending and we accept that you can't always be sending, that might help with our relationship to training, but also how we fuel our bodies and our acceptance of, you know, how our bodies might change during different times of the year and being aware that that's a possibility and totally normal and okay. Like, I think that's, that's hugely an example that's missing in the climbing community, maybe until now. Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) Well, sure. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, um, I've always, I've really appreciated how, how you all have covered this, you know, in, in your shows as well. And I think, again, there just seems to be so much opportunity there. It is very individualized. Um, but just seeing how different individuals look at nutrition and training and weight and, and power and these kinds of things, seasonality, um, can help inform, you know, your own perspective. I I interviewed Matt Fultz this season and, you know, one of the strongest boulders in the world, I think five V16s. And he's a bigger guy, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. right? He talked about yeah. how like he would look around and he's 170 and, you know, like like a big, big dude. Yikes. And he's hanging on to the yep. tiniest edges on 40 degree, you know, hypnotized minds, V16, like tiny, <laughs> like, like insane. And he's like, but if I try to cut weight, I cannot, I don't have the power. Like I just, I can't grip. So he's like, he's like, just. I'm going to be the best boulderer in the world at the weight that I'm supposed to be. And, you know, it's hard. It may be hard to 
kind of accept or discover that at first. But I think when you do, there's, it just seems like it's almost freeing in a sense. You're like, yeah, this is me. Stephen Dimmitt talks about that as well. It's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm better at a higher weight. I can put on more strength. And it's, it's like, we all talk about the strength to weight ratio sport, but everybody focuses on the weight part of the equation. But like Matt yeah. Fultz was like, I <laughs> focus on the missing. straight <laughs> part of the equation. Like I'm looking at the numerator, not the denominator or whatever, you know, however you kind right. of like slice it. And um, I find that really interesting. And then for me personally, it was also like, just like small stuff, you know, I just like upped my protein and Caitlin, yeah. you told me that I was like pretty low on fat. So I added some oh. nuts and some avocado and some yeah. things. And Melina Costanza <laughs> talked a lot about that as well. And, you know, little things like I didn't make big swings, but like I made little intentional things that have definitely made a difference, not just That's on huge. how I climb, because like ultimately who cares that much, but like just making me (laughs) like feel better, have more energy, be a better dad, you know, like not be hangry. These kinds of things all make me, I think a more tolerable person to be around. (laughs) It is important. I think, and I, yeah, I think that part of the discussion is, is probably evolving, but yeah, it's just kind of working through some of the conditioned mindsets we have about climbing and weight. And, you know, there are different approaches you can take during the season, but I think the low hanging fruit is probably nutrition, training, sleep. Oh my God, big time stress. And then maybe, maybe as like a very last thing to not use all the time, but is part of the toolbox is talking about strength to weight and, I I definitely feel like it's there's definitely a time and place. There's um, a safe way to do it, but hopefully that discussion is something that maybe goes to the back burner and like it's you know it's kind of not not on the roster of what we are all hoping to attack because it feels like the easiest low hanging fruit, but it's really not. It's a long term thing that if you do this now, you know, lose weight for this one project, chances are you're not going to be at the top of your game to go into your next project or to continue that same, you know, accomplishment. I just think it has, it's, it's kind of like a finite approach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think this, the, the chapter, the nutrition chapter, um, remains in like on my struggle interviews, kind of the most or the least, predictable and the least consistent, (laughs) which I think is really interesting. I do feel like, you know, we're, we're on kind of the front edge of, um, a lot of intentionality being brought to nutrition for climbing. And that's really exciting. I I think we're going to see like over the next five years, I bet those chapters become more and more aligned. Um, but you know, it's Mm -hmm. still like, it's still a little bit of the wild west. I mean, Alex Johnson was talking about how she was like, yeah, I remember hearing, that protein was important. So every time I went to, um, had a hard workout at the gym, I would swing by McDonald's and get a couple fish fillets. Cause I think there was a lot of protein in the fish fillets. <laughs> yeah. And then she was like, and then I realized like, that's kind of garbage protein and maybe I should like eat something better. You know, it's like, that's, that's yeah. how bad we are right now at figuring out what to eat. She's one of the strongest climbers in the world. I know. Well, I think experimentation was another theme that I learned from the podcast too. Like I think the more people experimented and learned like, oh, hey, this is my individualized approach, the better awareness they had of nutrition, but their own nutrition. And I think that is also a really big thing that that people miss. Um, and sort of <laughs> tangential to that, I'm wondering if you ever 
Like if you were ever wanting to know who I would want you to interview, I would love to yeah. hear Dave McLeod on the podcast because oh I I think that he is an amazing resource, but I think people take his words as gospel. And I have a lot of people giving me mega shit on the internet about, well, Dave doesn't do carbs and he crushes. I'm like, he's the outlier, you idiots. Come on. Like, <laughs> like do you think you're Dave McLeod? Is that what, is yeah. that the like, I'm like logic stop here? Yelling at me. I'm Dave McLeod, so I shouldn't eat carbs. And I, since yeah. I'm actually also Dave McLeod, I will send V a lot too. <laughs> like, yeah. what well, the also, logic is that? He never says, do what I do. It's always like, hey, I'm experiencing experimenting on myself this works well for me like it's not it's not his fault but i really feel like climbers literally long, they like attach themselves to these these people yeah. who have a lot of voice in the community and are succeeding and it's just not for everybody so i yeah if you could ever interview dave oh my god i would love to hear that because there. I'd like to as well, but like he's such a contrarian. Like I just know I'm yeah. gonna get into a fight with him because like it's like he's doing this like all McDonald's patty diet I right know. now, and I'm just gonna be like, Dave, what? Why? Like, what are you doing this one for? Because but I mean, I do appreciate that yeah. he uses himself as the guinea pig. I think that's yes. really interesting and fun and entertaining. But I agree. I think that when you have a platform as big as you do, mm-hmm. um, he's very careful about. I think being a skeptic and citing, you know, good science that defends mm-hmm. like yeah. the points of view that he's making. Right. But it's also um it's also so kind of provocative. I'm just like Yeah. I'm like yelling at my phone sometimes. So yeah, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it, like it'll just be, you know, me and Dave just like, you know, yelling, yelling. at each other um <laughs> for for an hour about things. <laughs> Can so. I be on that? <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah, there's there's so many things and like, I really appreciate nuance and nutrition, but man, I wish people would not see it and be like, Oh, I'm going to do that now. It's like, no, that's not the point. This is experimentation. You have to learn what works best for you. And every recommendation that someone puts out, including the recommendations I have may not work for everyone. So yeah. Um, PSA, stop yelling at nutrition professionals who are credentialed. And if you think you're the expert, but you're not credentialed, stop. Just and if you think you're stop. Dave McLeod, unless you're Dave McLeod, you are not. You're not Dave McLeod. <laughs> Surprise. It seems, Surprise. So, seems like such an easy concept for people. Bad to news. Grasp, you're right? not Dave McLeod. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so surprising. Well, Ryan, is there anything else, uh, any other final thoughts about nutrition and struggles, things you've learned? Oh, actually, things that you've taken away. I think we've talked about a lot of that. But yeah, anything else? Just donuts. Donuts are important. Send yeah. donuts either in the verb, but also the noun. Yeah, Man, just like donuts for the code. send, donuts for yeah. the not send. Just donuts, donuts guys. For, I'm actually not going to rock climb when I come down to visit on Friday. You can just send and I'll eat donuts. I aspire to be like an old ass coach eating donuts, watching yes. my athletes send someday. Like when I'm 85 and I'm just rocking five eights, I'm going to be like, I'm eating some donuts and you're going to send kids. And that's like my dream. Donuts for power. You know, Alex, yeah, Alex like, can keep his carrots. I've got, I got donuts for power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, big, oh, big facts. Yeah. Oh, that'll be maybe when I'm like retired, I'll just have people bring me donuts to the crag and then I can like help them send and like, oh, this is a dream. You just sit there and you hold your donut and go, 
put your toe right there. <laughs> did you even make a plan for your beta before you pulled on? <laughs> or did you just do some shit? It's going to be great. People like, does Lauren do crack or is that donut dust? I don't yeah, know. Um, or is it chalk? Be, Who knows? I'm going to be the cutest, crustiest old lady at the drag. <laughs> I can't wait. All right. Well, should we, on that note, uh, should we take a break? <laughs> we probably should. <laughs> If you're a climber, you're basically a superhero. I mean, you're walking up walls. Your fingers can hoist your body up on tiny edges. You're getting upside down. You're swinging through the sky. And what do superheroes need most of all? Capes? No. A cool car? No. An exceptionally long and drawn out storyline in which their likeness and brand is repurposed over and over again for the monetary gain of large corporations? Well, okay, also no. What they really need is a theme song. But your theme song has to fit you, right? It has to make sense. So to help you find your theme song and learn a little bit about the way you personally train for climbing, I made you a quiz. So if you're ready to find your theme song, head on over to the show notes and take the quiz right now. And we're back. And we are continuing down the four pillars of the show, <laughs> which is so well done. But I love that you picked those four. Uh, just a quick aside. I think a lot of times climbers will see one, maybe two, maybe three of these, but not view the full picture. So I think it's totally. so cool that you realize, you know, that there's this whole holistic approach to climbing and represent that in your show so well. So thank you. That, yeah, it was so smart. I think people don't even realize that like tactics, I feel like is the one that people don't even realize is like a pillar at all. People are like, what are tactics? And I'm like, oh boy. So we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot to t- you don't actually don't have to always start at the bottom of the rock climb. And like, that's where we're starting. At, yeah. So. I, I feel like I never hear about tactics either. Like people on, you know, all of the climbing podcasts that exist. I feel like that's like rarely just, yeah. You know, it's not like a big theme, but I find that <laughs> I'll kind of go through the like nutrition and the training section and be like, yeah, 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 got it. Okay. And then I get to tactics and I'm like, must listen intently. <laughs> what happened? I know, especially as I watched a bunch of people bouldering in Bishop, I just saw, uh, I just turned it to, to the grumpy edition of Chris Hampton and just being like, oh, I see what he's been bitching about all these years. This is wild. What people he was got right. going on. He was right. So yeah. Oh man. I told one of our athletes that was like out on the trip with us he like you know was doing like the second half of a boulder and then he kind of stopped he was like i'll be fine after there and i was like andrew if you don't send after you skipped doing that part and you fall there i'm gonna make fun of you forever and he's like i won't fall there and then he did it he sent but i was like mm. so in any case <laughs> tactics ryan what have you what have you learned or what has been surprising or yeah i feel like the, the tactical meat of interviewing so many elite athletes is probably pretty rad so yeah it is it's really it's kind of the wild card of the interviews for sure because some you know people tactics is is really uh kind of a wide lens to to go through so rather than hit on all of them um because there aren't as many like super common themes because it's just like everybody deals with tactics a little bit differently i would say kind of the two major takeaways that have impacted me as a climber um, are one, and you just touched on it, Lauren, um, is the concept of low pointing in sport climbing. Um, whereas I, I always used to just start at the bottom and climb and then fall and then try to figure out why I fell and then climb to the top and then just kind of rinse and repeat. 
And if it was below my limit, I'd put it together. Um, but now that I'm pushing into, you know, really trying to to perform um, and push my red point grade up, um, Jesus Wept is a perfect example where there's, you know, this kind of red point crux, as we say, which is maybe not the hardest moves on the entire route. I think that would be the low boulder. But um, after 50 feet of climbing and you're totally gassed, putting together this um, somewhat kind of techy, pockety sequence that's still powerful has been really hard. But, it, you know, early on, I, I one hung it very quickly. Like my second session, I one hung the route and but just haven't still haven't put it together. I think I'm going to put it together here soon. But what I started doing um, very quickly was low pointing. And so for I, nice. I know you guys have talked about it, but, you know, essentially sending to the chains or through that high crux, at least because it's pretty easy to the chains after you get through that. Um, from lower and lower on the, on the route until you essentially get to the point where you, you know, you can link it up. And, um, Drew Mack talked a lot about that, um, mm -hmm. in, in our interview, um, where he, on these really big, like pumpy sport routes that he, that he does and Segrist talked about it as well, um, that pretty quickly they start working their way down from the top. And that's, that's made a huge difference for me. So Low pointing, I think maybe, um, and, and you even talked about it with with bouldering, you know, to um, Allison Vest talked about that too, you know, practicing the top out. If it's like a heady slabby top out, she like really has a hard time with that. So practicing that off of a ladder or off of your friends, your partner's shoulders or whatever. And then you just know that when you get to whatever point it is that you know is the point mm -hmm. um, that you're going to send. And um, and that's been really impactive tactically for for me. Yeah, that's so funny because the first time I ever had the low point method like really work for me was actually on Jesus Wept, funny enough. Nice. Literally weird. like, <laughs> yeah, weird. So the first, I remember it was the session before I sent, I just was, just the bottom boulder was not happening for me. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for a low point where I go from bolt two to the anchors. And then I did it and I was like, holy shit. And I literally said when I came down and I was like, if I stick that bottom crux from the ground I am sending and that is exactly what happening because ha you just get there and then you don't have the first of all if you're low pointing you don't have the pressure of I'm about to send so I think you can focus better too which is kind of interesting but yeah I love that you brought that up I think no one I think it like the low point method definitely encompasses a lot of what people do wrong tactically and if you like flip your mindset to I need to figure out these chunks lower and lower on the climb it's a lot better so Cool. I'm yeah, I love, I love, I love that. that. Yeah. I love that you like immediately flipped to starting to use that. Cause I feel like a lot of people get into the trap too of, Oh, I'm one hanging. I'm so close. I'll just one hang forever. And you did not do that. And I imagine you're seeing progress as you like low point it too. And I think it makes a ton of sense for this route with the high crux as well. So yeah, I had that, I had that same experience that you had just my last time out when I was climbing with Eric, which was, you know, I, I tried to fire from the ground I fell at the upper crux there, you know, working through those pockets. And then rather than just hang there and get it back and then fire through it, you know, I had Eric lower me down to that lower rest, which is a really good rest. And I just got back on the wall there and rested actively on the wall and then fired it. And it's like as much tactically as it is mental where it was very much that like I lowered off and I was like, oh, this route goes. Whereas before that, I had never felt this route goes. I was always like, I don't know if I can. Is that the right beta for me or whatever? But this time I was just like, oh, yeah, it goes. And that's a huge switch to flip, you know, that confidence switch as well. So I think tactically that's um, low pointing has been really 
impactful for me. And then the other one is um, this concept that Eric Hurst brought up in his uh, masterclass on tactics. And that is this concept that you're um, this kind of amalgam of your five climbing friends. And so this is a tactic uh-huh. about like, how do you get better based on the people that you're with, right? So it's not like a, um, I chalk up this way, or this is my breath work that I do, or I look at a horizon to lower my heart rate or some of these like <laughs> cool little tricks and tactics that you can do. But um, just this concept that the the people that you climb with most often is going to have a significant effect on who you are. And so tactically speaking, choosing your partners wisely, whether they're people that you're with at the gym or that you train with, or that you go out to the crag, have a big impact. And so that that really has informed me as well. I've been making an effort this season to climb with um, some climbers that climb harder than I do. And they've pushed me and, you know, just kind of that concept of like, oh no, you got this, just hop on this, just feel this 13, you know, whereas I wouldn't normally do that. Um, climbing with really positive people, I, I have whatever personality type it is, like, I need a lot of positivity from my belayer, you know, you get that, you get that low clip, like I've, I got a fear of falling. And so like, we just talked about this on Prometheus, but like whatever, there's a bolt on every route where like, you know, when you clip it, you're totally safe. And like, I love it when my belayer calls up and says, good clip, you're safe. It's all good. Just, just <laughs> go that. from here. You know, like, Wonderful. yeah, just like something in my head. Like, I just love that positivity or like breathe, you got this, you know, looking strong, like all that stuff is, um, it really makes a difference. So it's almost a mental tactic thing. So it kind of like straddles these next two chapters, but I've, I've found um, that some intentionality to who you spend a lot of time climbing with or training with really does make an impact. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I've climbed (laughs) with just, yeah, as a thought there, like I've really been intentional with who I climb with because, and maybe who I don't climb with just because I feel like, People are great. They're nice. Sometimes I really don't want to try hard around certain people, though, because they're not the vibe. And that's (laughs) fine. But I feel like I felt really guilty for that for a long time because, you know, in places that I've lived and places that I've climbed, I think you kind of get the community that you get in some ways because the communities can be really small in the places I've lived. So I feel like one thing that helped me a lot is changing who I surrounded myself with on certain climbing days, especially if it was a projecting day. I knew that there were, you know, it was like a specific crew of people who made me feel like the best, I guess, not version of myself. That's weird to say, but like the best climber I was going to be that day. And they, it's like, they knew how I would operate and they knew that I wanted silence on certain moves. They knew that certain things would be helpful to say rather than me, you know, snagging the crux crimp and somebody goes, yeah. And I fall off. Cause I'm like, huh, so jarred. <laughs> so right. yeah, it's it. That is a really good point. I just, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I love, I love that. I also think I always tell my athletes this, like a big thing in the, one of the programs I'm running right now, Camp Five Twelve, which is a sport climbing program where we're focusing a lot about on mental game and tactics. Actually, funny enough, weird. but <laughs> weird. Uh, one of the things we talk about though a lot is I'm helping them identify what they actually like in a belay and in a climbing partner, and mm. then I'm, you know, a lot of the kudos I'm giving week to week is like, hey, good job, you told someone that you wanted a softer catch or, Hey, good job. You communicated with your belayer that you did have a little bit of a fear of falling and you want to talk about like what the risks are up here. So I think, you know, whether or not 
you have exactly the perfect circle of climbing friends that is perfectly attuned to exactly what you need as a climber, I think you can always put in some effort to kind of change your surroundings too and advocate mm-hmm. for yourself. So never feel like you just get to deal with something someone does that you don't like. You can always <laughs> just tell them. And if they're a good friend, they're probably glad that they can support you in changing, you know, yeah. their behavior or whatever. So you did that last week, Lauren and Bishop. You were like, silence, please. I was like, yes. I was also I pissed. It. And I, I was know. like, I just need to be alone with my thoughts so I can think about how I'm not going to chuff after the crux of this <laughs> Let boulder me yell again. At myself in silence. Don't tell me I'm amazing because I want to chuff through it. <laughs> I did. I did the liter. I think I literally said, "Let me yell at myself in my head." Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm pretty sure. I'm yeah. pretty sure I said that. Then, Hell like, yeah, it was good. <laughs> you were my inspiration though, because normally I feel weird being like asking people to shut up, but that's what helps me the most. Either that or like really melodic bagpipes in the background if I have my headphones on. No joke, works very well, but. If you <laughs> so the theme of the trip was like silencio, I was like, yes, oh my god, yes. finally. So I was really glad that you introduced that because I don't know, sometimes it feels weird to tell people, like, hey, your encouragement doesn't help me. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel that, and like, I don't know, sometimes encouragement at the wrong part starts like a dumb inner dialogue, too, where I'm like, that was not the hard part at all for me. I did not need cheered on for that, but then I'm just like, <laughs> someone's just being nice and you're being a dick in your head, like, what is wrong with yeah. you? I don't know. So it just starts. Sometimes I just need silence. And I also think like my other tip I always give to my athletes is it's it's a, you setting a boundary for you. So this is not about you being mad at the other person and it's not about like something other, the other person's doing wrong. It's literally you saying, this is literally what I need. Can you give that to yes. me? You know, it's not about you being mad at them. It's about you communicating what you need for yourself. So I think as long as you come at it from a, hey, shut up, you're caught. You know, if you're like, hey, can you shut up? You make me fall. Like that is not a good way to go about it no. like this is what I need to do my best can you support me in that is kind of the angle you need to come yeah. at with. so yeah good. I do love the uh the clip one though you're safe you clipped it's safe I'm also terrified of falling and it takes me like half of a sport climbing season to get like two percent more comfortable with it and I feel like that's I'm gonna take that one and try it out and have my Blair yell that because I really feel like that might be a low-hanging fruit option that I would like to taste so yeah I love that well speaking of fear why don't we (laughs) switch gears to mental game so Ryan what have you gleaned from your mental game discussions over the past almost two seasons of the struggle climbing show Yeah, this has probably been my favorite chapter, I think. It's just so rich, you know. I mean, just mindset in general is, I think, what sets climbing apart from so many other sports that just operate on a traditional and consistent playing field or or whatever. I mean, it's it's in large part why we climb. It's why we're not just like lifting weights or trying to pull down hard on a hangboard. We're climbing because there is this mental aspect. And so um, it's been such rich territory. I think... Um, you know, the, the, the two most common themes are fear of falling and fear of failure. And this is, um, in this chapter in particular, the uh, pro climbers and the average climbers, I think, are distinctly separated. Mm-hmm. Pro climbers, um, all of them at one point dealt with the fear of falling, but 
in large part don't really anymore. Their fear is overwhelmingly a fear of failure because their careers are built and their and their identities are built around performing as rock climbers. Whereas sure. for myself and, and most people who are listening, probably um, our identity is not tied directly to how we perform on any given day as a rock climber, but we were scared to fall and die. Um, and so, you know, Hate that. <laughs> but the fears come from, um, you know, a similar place. And so Hazel Finlay was our, was our expert that looked back on that season. And, you know, the focus there was um, very much on the process mindset. And I think that's great. I mean, I, I, for, I have a lot to learn here. I did, I have worked through my fear of falling um, and made um, significant improvement on that and I'm, that I'm really proud of, but it was a very intentional year of, communicating to my friends that I was afraid and talking through the climbs, like, like mm-hmm. you touched on Lauren, like, Oh, you know, there's a ledge here, like keep me tight, you know, like really getting um, very thoughtful about how to um, start to manage, accept and manage my, my fear of falling. And so um, Hazel and I spoke a lot about that. Um, and, and ultimately kind of the fear of failure, which is what a lot of the elite climbers um, contend with. We, we do as well. Obviously, you know, if you're out with friends and they've all sent and you're the one that hasn't, you can put a lot of pressure on yourself. Or if you've said, like I said, you know, publicly at the start of this season that I wanted to send 13A and, you know, halfway through, I just wasn't inspired by any 13s. And so I started focusing on Jesus wept and now I'm now it's 12D. And so like, you know, am I contending with a fear of failure here? It's, you know, we all still deal with it, but I think, um, you know, just to, to, to call back to kind of Hazel, that process mindset, finding those little goals every single day that, that, that the, make the process, um, kind of the focus rather than the outcome has been something that's been really challenging for me. Mm-hmm. I tend to set goals. I think my personality type, I'm, uh, you know, very driven and entrepreneurial and these kinds of, I try to set like big goals and go after them. And so it's been hard for me to set smaller goals, but low pointing is a good example of saying like, you know, this is a huge win today. If I can get to the chains from bolt four, bolt three, bolt two, um, or just like, Hey, can I, um, go out and be really thoughtful about my rests today? Can I do five minutes on this rest instead of three minutes on this rest? Can I leave this rest feeling pretty damn fresh instead of like knowing that it's just going to be a run until I punt? (laughs) Um, totally. yeah, like, like setting those little mini goals and, and kind of identifying those like in the car ride to the crag with my buddies, um, has been something that I've been practicing. I, I wouldn't say that I'm, um, very good at it, but it's something that I'm working on. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing really great. Like you're doing a lot of things that I would want my athletes to do and kind of endeavoring on a project too. Cause I think if you, I don't even like, I truly do not know how you could get through a project that you need like five six, seven, 10 sessions to send. If every day you don't have some little like mini thing you're trying to accomplish, like one, I don't know how you're organizing your time, but then two, I don't know how you wouldn't get like extremely discouraged because if all you wanted out of the day was a send and you don't get it, I don't know how you keep going. Like if you don't have these like little check marks that are progress. I don't know if people can do it. When you talk with your, your athletes about that, is there like what are common mini goals that, that you find are, you know, whether you're bouldering or, you know, indoors or outdoors or whatever, like 
I, I need more of them. So <laughs> what, <laughs> tell me more. What can I work on when I go to Jesus Wept on Friday? Except I think I am gonna send. Yeah, I feel like you yeah. Ooh, okay. This is this is a good one. One big one. Um, and I kind of discovered this myself in working on uh my longtime lander project that shall not be named for now. <laughs> but uh, bitter. But one thing, like one simple one would be like working on your breathing was that that was a big thing for me. Like I had a good friend, Carly, who will be on the podcast or has already been on the podcast, depend on depending on this episode gets released. But <laughs> she watched me climb. She was like, oh my God, Lauren, you just did like a 40 move boulder problem on this sport climb. And I didn't hear you breathe once. And then I was like, this is a large issue. So then I like made it a big point. Like a process goal was like, really breathing better um and that kind of tends to flow through it sounds like from what you've described you're already very good at identifying the chunks i think a lot of people skip the like chunks and links piece of a project so it seems like you're already doing a really good job with identifying like first of all the swap to the low point method is great like identifying these chunks and links is really good and then yeah i think I think you're doing a good job. I would have to talk to you more to find like, it seems all the obvious things I usually look for when someone's working on a project, you are checking the boxes. So yeah. That's I good. Think- yeah. I think, I think it's also <laughs> just like, an, um, there's some, just some self care there, you yeah. know, w- when it comes to, um, you know, being frustration okay. management. Yeah. yeah <laughs> being okay. You know, like throwing little sticks like you guys, yes. um, like do. um, you know, yeah, just just being okay with it. I mean, one of the things I do every time I step up to a rock climb, and this is what has helped me deal in some part with my fear of falling, but also fear of failure is, you know, check my systems twice over, communicate with my Blair, make sure everything's like super solid, step up, chalk up, take a deep breath. And I smile and I say out loud, it's just rock climbing. <laughs> I love that. And then, yeah. and then I pull on the rock and I give it hell or I don't or, you know, whatever. But it it does kind of it helps me at least as somebody who's a little bit of a um, kind of maybe overly driven or overly perfectionist. And, you know, I can be hard on myself. Um, It helps to just kind of cut the levity there. Alex Magos talked about that in my interview with him last season as well, where like he, he used to have a real hard time with failure. um, And that was documented well in that um, Ken Etzel film, Rock Punk. Yeah. Uh, That film rules. Big fan. So good. So beautifully done. And like, he's just was so hard on himself. He wanted to send Jumbo Love and like, you know, a couple goes and it was really hard. And he was, you know, he's, he's changed his perspective since then. And he's just, um, as Hazel said, you know, it's a mental game tactic, which is just putting things in perspective, just saying like, look, at the end of the day, how much does it matter if I send this or not today? Okay, well then can I pick some other goals? Can I have some fun? Um, and so I have been trying to do that. I think uh, the mental game chapter and then Hazel's recap of it is is a really rich uh, mm-hmm. chapter in the struggle for sure. That rules. I also want to comment too, just to give you even more gold stars, but I love your like swerve on the goal too, because I think it can be really easy to be like super locked into climbing a certain grade. And I love that you were like, I found a different climb I like better that I can learn a lot from and who cares. And not that it's not, you know, awesome to like pick a new hard grade to do. And this would be, this would be your first 12D. Yeah. So. Yeah. It would still be, it would still be a new high point, but I had kind of like publicly painted myself in a corner by like talking on some interviews and on my own show and that kind of thing and being like 13 is the goal. (laughs) Me too. I definitely was posting shit when I was in Lander. I was like, this is going down. It'll be fun that I documented it. Then I was like, hi, I just fell two moves from the top. 
Oh. And now, I, yep, sucks. <laughs> so we can we can get Rad Redemption on this goal next year, Ryan, together. It's fine. So Good. away she goes. But I think that's cool. I think artistically and intelligently swerving on like big goals we set is also a great skill to have too. So I think that's cool that you yeah. did that and that you're just sharing that. Because I think like, you know, I like talk about goal setting for a living and I had to swerve on, I've completely derailed and changed what I thought I was going to be doing this fall. And it's fine. I'm actually really glad that I changed what I wanted out of you know, this season right now. So I think it's a good, and I think that's a have. real talent being able to even recognize that. And when, when I, I interviewed Lynn Hill, um, I recently uh, interviewed Mo Beck um, and, and both of them echoed very similar things in their interviews where they might set their sights on a project, get on it and pretty quickly be totally okay saying, Nope, it's not for me. You know, that move up there, like Lynn would say, like maybe she just couldn't reach a move or it just didn't feel right. And Mo, you know, being with with one hand, climbing with one hand, and, and I think she's got like a negative 20 ape or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, like that. you have just to pick that. climbs where you can do them. And so you may talk about it and research it and watch videos and your friends pick it, all that. And then you get on it. And that's what I did with Easy Rider it was going to be like the 13A that I did at the Red. It's at Drive-By. It seemed my style, you know, long and kind of overhung and that kind of thing. And I'd like, I was like, easy riders, my, that's going to be my 13A. And then I went out there and I got on it and I got to the crux and I was like, oh no, this is, (laughs) you're good here. No, sir. You, good day, sir, was, um, was how I, um, left that climb. And so, you know, I learned from Lynn Hill. I was just like, yep, no good. No, no good. Well, when we went to Bishop, like day one, I had my sight set on this like awful V9, but I remember looking at it four years ago going, yeah, I'm going to get on that. And then touching it, I was like, absolutely not. This is terrible. (laughs) And then it, it just, yeah, it, it really was not where the hype was. And then we went elsewhere and those climbs were way more fun to work on. You know, it wasn't a V9, but like, I would rather have fun on a week long trip than throw myself at this awful V9. <laughs> uh, yeah, that start looked pretty gross. I couldn't so. even get my butt off the ground. What a, an awful climb. I also heard that people are calling it V11. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, so never mind. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, great. good on you. I'm, I, I'm, no, a, I'm a V3 uh, outdoor climber. <laughs> so. Um... <laughs> I don't even um, I don't even I've, want to touch the holds on the V9, but I've been chuffing yeah. on V9 for four years, so <laughs> love it. everything's chuff princess. That's fine. Love to see it. New hashtag. <laughs> oh my god! Awesome. Well, I feel like we can. Ryan, is there anything else on mental game you want to share? This has been an absolutely lovely discussion. I feel yeah, like, yeah. I've loved it. No, that's it. I, I, yeah. I appreciate you guys letting me um, go through the different chapters here of the struggle. Been fun. Yeah, I know. It's probably fun for you to like sit back and reflect on all the <laughs> things like, you've learned from all these badasses you've I'm interviewed. <laughs> so it is I. Amazing. Yeah, cool. No, yeah. Thank you for honestly, your podcast, I feel like, is so different in the climbing space. And I feel like you bring a lot of really great nuance and you give people the the perspectives that aren't so like hammered in, you know, we're, we're just, we're chiseling away at what works for us. And I feel like it's brought a lot of that like nuanced conversation that's maybe been lacking for a long time. So 
huge yeah. fan if y'all don't listen to it already you really should it's it's great yes oh, my you. athletes more than once have posted um because i have like a custom plan athlete group message and they have posted and shared to each other your episodes they're like this was yeah. so good everyone needs to go listen to it without my prompting at all and i'm like that's ryan it is oh, a really I love great show. That. yeah so it's awesome but ryan do you want to tell people where they can find you and all of these things. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, Apple and Spotify and wherever you get your podcast, it's called The Struggle Climbing Show. On Instagram, it's um, at The Struggle Climbing Show. And so, you know, I post some clips up there and some little videos um, from from the interviews and then, you know, me punting off of the prize and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then I've got a personal Instagram as well, which is Ryan Devlin Outside, which I don't really keep up on all that much but um you know it's it's another place uh to find me and yeah i appreciate people checking it out if you like it um it's super helpful to get like um reviews and and yeah. ratings so you know uh, do that if you find value from the podcast and and i'm really grateful to to both of you um lauren and caitlin for having me on and for putting out what you guys do. I love the snack breaks. Um, that's been a really cool new addition and, mm-hmm. and the regular eps as well. Um, I still would like to consider myself the first guest, even though I was, was not actually. I know you kind of got published. screwed. We're sorry. Yeah, Honorary first were. guest. First guest <laughs> in our hearts. That's what we like to say. Yeah. You honestly took the, <laughs> we just did the dry run with you and you got screwed, but Hey, it's Thanks okay. Thanks for helping us learn. Thanks for helping us learn. Growth mindset. Rad. Yay, cool. plug tone. Well, yay, plug tone. We're doing it. Look at us. Here we yeah, are. Here we are. All right. Well, we can try to do this together. I'm sure it'll work out great. So keep it average. Until next. Fuck. <laughs> okay. No. No. <laughs> Damn it. You had one job. <laughs> one job. You did a great job with the fun fact. I'll give you that. Okay. Phonoda noodle. What was that word? Phone. Phonautograph. Phonautograph. All right. Until next time. Keep, keep it. Phonautograph. Phonautograph. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren here. We hope you enjoyed our guest, Ryan Devlin. We sure did. You can find Ryan on Instagram at The Struggle Climbing Show. And you can listen to his podcast, The Struggle Climbing Show, on all podcast platforms. Now I'll close us out with some exciting announcements and our production credits. Have you tried several dietary strategies? Do you often feel so fatigued that your work and training sessions suffer? Have you ever wondered if there's a better way of eating, but you don't have the time or energy to figure it out on your own? If that's you, then Caitlin's got your back. As a nutrition expert, Caitlin will help bring awareness of your nutrition needs for everyday living and sports performance without fads or non-personalized suggestions. Tap the link in our show notes to apply for Caitlin's one-on-one spring coaching spots. Caitlin's group coaching program, Bloom, is also coming back on March 20th. This group coaching experience is co-hosted by Caitlin and fellow CNS Emily Smith. Bloom is an intimate eight-week coaching experience designed to help you view food through the lens of women's hormonal health. This program will empower you to make nourishing food and lifestyle choices. The application for Bloom opens on Monday, March 20th, 2023. You can apply at the link in our show notes. Feel like you're ready to take more control in your climbing journey? Interested in taking a more focused approach to your training? Whether you're looking for custom coaching or a self-guided training plan, Good Spray has you covered. Go to www.goodsprayclimbing.com to learn more. And don't forget, you can always support our Patreon. 
The link for that is in our show notes too. The Average Climber podcast is hosted by me, Lauren, and my co-host, Caitlin. You can find us on Instagram at The Average Climber Podcast for antics between episodes and updates on when new episodes are coming out. You can also find me on Instagram at Goodspray Coaching and Caitlin on her Instagram over at Dirtbag Nutritionist. This show is edited by Josh Hafley with our favorite furry production assistant, Stubby the Corgi. The music for this episode was created and produced by Devin Dabney. The Average Climber podcast is a part of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. Head on over to PlugToneAudio.com or at PlugToneAudio on Instagram to learn more about the other great shows on the network, just like the Struggle Climbing Show. That's all for now. Until next time, keep it average. Average.